Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On this week's episode, we'll discuss Will Miles' latest article, Catching Georgia, Florida's April Recruiting Update. Two solid contributors have hit the portal this past week. Ethan White to USC is no more. We'll take a look at that, and we'll finish up by taking a look at the DraftKings early lines for some key games this fall. Will, how's it going, man? It's going pretty well, man. We we launched our preseason magazine last week, at least for pre-orders. Um, had a really good reception to that. So, again, people want to remind you, if you're interested in getting a magazine in your hands, um, we do need people to pre-order that this year so we can get them all made and get them sent out. But you can go over to readandreaction.com slash mag. That's readandreaction.com slash M-A-G. And pick that up over there. It'll be coming your way right around Memorial Day, which is our planned launch. We will still have the digital version available. It's not available yet, um, but we will have the digital version available on Memorial Day as well. So you can you can pick and choose. And also, because there's so much stuff going on in the transfer portal, people who buy the uh, hardcover edition, there will be a little message in there for you that if you give us a little bit of social media buzz, we'll send the we'll send some updated stuff to you after the uh, after the transfer portal closes because we know we're not going to be able to have that all into the written form. So uh, exciting, man! You and I both. Uh, uh, burn the midnight oil to, to get this thing done. But, uh, you know, we love the Gators. We know our fans love the Gators, so want to give them something nice. And last year, everybody talked about wanting an actual magazine in their hands. So this year, we're going to try to give them that. Hey, magazine season's just around the corner. That means one step closer to college football. I'm all for it, Will. Uh, let's jump right in here to catching Georgia, Florida's April recruiting update. I loved how you uh, you made a note at the beginning of the article. Hey, I'll, I'll dive in deep when I'm critical, so I might as well dive in deep when uh, it's time to look at something good there. So it's been a different year, Will, so far. You you even noted in the article by August 2nd, Napier's 2023 class contained just one top 100 commit, four commits ranked 100 to 200, and four more ranked in the 200 to 301 or 300 range. The average player rating was 91.14. It was pretty clear that a top 10 class was going to take a huge finish. Will, what are you seeing that's different with this year's class? Top 50 guys. I mean, the only top 50 guys they've had the last two years are Kelby Collins and Kamari Wilson. And they got four this year with the commitment of uh, Xavier Philsummy at safety there on uh, on uh, uh, the spring game day. They got they got four now. You got DJ Lagway, who's 22nd overall, Philsummy, who's 36th, Miles Graham, 42nd, and Adarius Hayes, 44th. You fill that out with Chauncey Bowens at 210, Kanan Daniels at 349, and Josiah Davis at 513. All of a sudden, you've got the makings of a really, really solid recruiting class. The average player ranking, 94.6. Um, if you look at where Georgia is right now, they're at 94.6 as well. Georgia has a few more commits, certainly more top 100 commits. But Florida, with four top 100 commits when they only had two overall last year, only had a couple overall in 2022 as well, and really only had one or two each of the years of the Dan Mullen era. So this is a different recruiting class than Florida has had, assuming they can keep it together and assuming that they can add some more pieces and sort of fill out the rest of it. This is a different recruiting class than Florida has had than since maybe Will Muschamp was around and potentially even Urban Meyer. So, you know, like you said, I tend to be critical, but part of that is because I know how important this stuff is to Florida winning and how important it is to winning in college football. It's not a coincidence that every single team that's won the national national championship since the playoff began was in the top five mm. in that span in terms of overall recruiting ranking, the average player rating for the top five teams. Those are the only five who've won a national championship. They're what? Eight, no, nine, no, 10, no, somewhere in that range since the playoff began. I think it began in 2014. So, you know, nine and oh, they're there all the time. 
And so if Florida wants to be there all the time, granted, the playoff is going to expand, the SEC is getting bigger, all that sort of stuff. But look, I don't want to make the playoff once every three years. I don't want to be competing to make the playoff and being happy that we made it into the final 12. I think most people who are Florida fans expect and want to have championship teams and championship teams require championship recruiting. It's not the only thing you have to have good, good coaching. You have to have good development, all that sort of stuff, but it really helps to have that championship recruiting to start with Florida. This is the first class that Florida's put together that you could say has the bones of a championship type recruiting class. And granted, it's the third one, and so we're going to have to be maybe a little bit more patient with Billy Napier than maybe we would have liked, given some of the other SEC championship-level coaches who sort of reached this level in year two. But if he reaches it in year three, you got to say that he's accomplished something that his predecessors haven't, and this was the thing he was brought here to fix. So um, you know, I just look at it and say it's on par in terms of recruiting with Alabama and Georgia. It's far and away better than what LSU and Florida State have right now, which means you think about Brian Kelly and all the comparisons that we've had. He certainly had his way in the transfer portal, and he was able to take Harold Perkins away a couple of years ago. But right now, Billy Napier is way in front of LSU, even with Alabama and Georgia, way in front of Florida State, way in front of Miami. And so just where Florida stands in the pecking order, look, it's just one class, got to fill it out, got to finish it. But this is, you know, this was sort of the thing was, his transition class to his bump class, there was an increase in player player rating. And what I said at the time was that increase isn't enough. He's going to have to show another bump. If he peters out and if he sort of plateaus out, it's not going to be enough to be a championship team. Well, it looks like we're seeing that bump this year. Again, we'll see how it finishes out. Only seven recruits in this class though, so far. But the elite talent that's in this class already, much, much, much more than he's had the last couple of classes. The double bump, I like it. Uh, Kinsler was in this class around this time last year. I think I think by the summer you had pointed out in June. Kinsler, Patterson. So you mentioned that, you know, of course, you got to hold on to this, these guys. These classes are still going to evolve. But one thing I've always found interesting with the numbers you pulled from recruiting is once you hit that August mark, you really kind of lock in. It's It gets kind of predictable about where you're going to lock in and finish in terms of overall player rating. Yeah, well, it turns out that by the time you get to August, most of the elite guys have already decided where they're going. And those elite guys are the guys who decide who goes up and who goes down. If you have six five-star guys, you're in the top five of the recruiting, no matter what you have on the back end. And if you have zero five-stars, you're going to really struggle to get into the top five, six, seven spots, irrespective of whether you just stack top 100 guys because of the way that they because of the way that they count in the algorithms and all the other things that, that, that turn out. Last year's class for Billy Napier was a very good class, but he was really heavy in that 100 to 300 range in terms of player overall player rating which gave him a high average player ranking he was around like i think 92.1 overall for the year but it meant that he didn't have those elite prospects the can't miss prospects guys like lagway guys like hayes guys like graham guys like Fulsami. these are guys who you know, for all intents and purposes have to hit. And if you look, you know, we're going to talk about some of the transfers in a couple of minutes. If you look at the 2019 and 2020 classes for Florida, there were no can't miss guys in those classes. And there were a lot of guys who missed. And so what you want is you want, there were some guys who hit too, but the thing is you want those guys who sort of randomly hit to supplement the four or five guys who are can't miss. And all of a sudden you've got 22 high level starters out there on the field. This is the start of that. I think Florida is probably going to, you know, Look, if we give Napier credit for his recruiting and his evaluation, I think his, his bump class, maybe it just turns out one or two players better than we would expect. But one or two players in that class is probably still going to be below Georgia and Alabama in terms of overall value for that recruiting class. This class is one that you can compare at least thus far with those teams. And when we get to August, we'll know. 
And like you said, if you're sitting there at a 94 player rating come August, you might come down a little bit, but you're not going to come down much. And you're going to sort of know we're going to be in the top five. And that's what you have to have. You have to be in the top five to win national championships these days. And Napier is trending in that direction right now. Well, the positive news with the influx of recruiting, you know, the upgrade in recruiting here is maybe that would explain why we are willing to let uh, key contributors who are starters walk in the transfer portal because it, it might be time there, there might be more of that focus on those young guys this year two key players from last year's team ended up entering the transfer portal this week we'll start with wide receiver xavier henderson henderson in my mind will was the clear cut number two coming back behind Pearsall. 38 catches last year 410 yards both career highs for him uh former top 100 prospect out of miami uh columbus high school there and he leaves Florida with 835 receiving yards, five touchdowns on 73 catches over the course of 35 games. I'm pulling all this from Jacob Rudner of 24-7 Sports. Will, interesting timing here after spring camp. There seemed to be a lot of positivity around him, uh, both from Napier and new wide receivers coach Billy Gonzalez, who, of course, had coached Henderson previously as well. So interesting time that... Henderson would uh, hit the portal considering the familiarity, but it also speaks to the fact that maybe there's some plans for some younger guys to get more playing time early. Maybe. I mean, look, I think you look at you look at Henderson's overall numbers, 835 yards and five touchdowns over three seasons. That's not a ton of production. He averaged 11.4 yards per reception, which isn't a ton of explosiveness. And so, look, he made some really good plays. If you look at him against Tennessee, I think you can see what he can be when given the ball in good spots. Um you know, he, he he was fast, but not explosive in terms of his ability to sort of get out of breaks. There wasn't a ton of separation. You know, the last couple of years, you, you listen to announcers talk about Florida and they talk about how their wide receivers struggle to separate. They never put him in that outside spot, sort of like they did Justin Shorter last year and said, go deep and Anthony, make Anthony Richardson out throw you. And I think what that says is that you don't have confidence that he's going to get separation. They threw a lot of those screen passes. Some of those screen passes weren't his fault because his wide receivers weren't all that great at blocking. But look, I mean, there are times where you just got to put your foot in the ground, go and get five yards, and sometimes that didn't happen. Um, look, I think Xavier Henderson was a very good gator. I don't think he was like a fantastic – he's not somebody I'm going to bounce my my grandkid on my knee and tell, talk about him. Um, he's also probably somebody that we'll sort of look at and go, yeah, didn't quite live up to the recruiting ranking in terms of what we thought we were getting. But, you know, three years, solid production the last two. Um, wish him well moving on. But yeah, I think it says, you know, Will, we talked do, about we, the... do we have a luxury of losing upperclassmen starters right now in this wide receiver room? Do we have, I don't, think we, I don't think we have a, I don't think we have a luxury. I don't think Napier would have wanted him to go yeah. if he had, if he had, if he had his druthers, same thing with the offensive lineman who left after the season. Right. right. I think if you asked Napier, did you want those guys to leave? He would have said, no, of course not. Like in a, in a quiet moment, he was said, no, of course not. I want those guys to stay. But the reality is, is that this team wasn't very good last year. Right. And so if we're sitting here going, well, this guy has starting experience and it's like, but was the starting experience any good? Was the starting experience really productive? Is the attitude what you want on the team? And I'm not saying anything about Henderson's attitude. It seemed like it's been very, very good, but you know, and then it comes down to what are you trying to accomplish? And this team definitively is going to lean on freshmen and sophomores. They have to, it's the only people they have on the roster anymore. And so if you're already going youth movement and if you're already trying to decide where you're going to go, and if you're Xavier Henderson and you're looking at, at Graham Mertz and Jack Miller as your quarterbacks, and you have an option to go someplace else where somebody's going to be able to get you the ball a little bit more readily. Maybe you look at that and say, I'm going to struggle to get to the NFL. If I've got these guys throwing me the ball, 
And so you decide to take take it someplace else, right? If this is a transition year for Florida, it's pretty clear this is a transition year, right? A lot of youth, a lot of guys who are going to be on the field who haven't played very much, they're probably going to have to take some lumps. But in taking those lumps, you hope you're better for the long haul. Well, if Xavier Henderson plays well this year, he's in the NFL. If he doesn't play well this year, do you want him back the next year in order in order to pl- take playing time away from Aiden Mizell and Andy Jean and, and Eugene Wilson and those sorts of guys? The answer is no. So I see where he's coming from at this point, and I see that if you're Napier, you look at it and say, you know what, I've got these young guys who can replace him. I'm not sure I'm real comfortable with true freshmen taking a ton of snaps at wide receiver in the SEC mm-hmm. to start with. Mm-hmm. I think I'd love to have him here, but I understand why when he looks at his incentive structure and says, eh, there might be an opportunity someplace else where you know like a place like Oregon you go out there in a wide open offense where you get an opportunity to go with a guy like Bo Nix who's got four or five years of experience he's gonna be able to get to the ball those sorts of things not I haven't heard any rumors about that but I'm just thinking like out loud in terms of where you might decide to go I I get it if you could go somewhere and catch 50 60 passes you're gonna look a lot better going into the NFL draft here next next season however this just this just puts an immediate need on the wide receiver. Like where before we were looking at those three wide receiver freshmen coming in and saying, boy, wouldn't it be nice if one of them could step up. Now it says one of them has to step up and one of them needs to really like that. that now the second one needs that'd be the nice to have on the second one there, but it, I, it really honestly, accelerates the need for those guys to get on the field and play. I want to see these young guys get as much playing time anyway, this, this next year, but also like we've talked about too, with the magazine, Hey, the transfer portal is going to be it's it, they're going to be more additions. You might see them go out and get another vet there at that position, Will, because that is a young group behind Pearsall. I mean, honestly, this is the same argument I made a couple of weeks ago about Max Brown, right? That that right. the seal you need to know what you have in Max Brown when you start really when the games really start counting. And 2023, as much as we don't want to admit it as Gator fans, 2023 likely is a year where you're trying to figure out what you've got and who's going to contribute to your next winner. It's not necessarily the year that's going to be your next winner. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go eight and four. doesn't mean you can't go nine and three. But I think if it's pretty wishful thinking if we're thinking this is a 10 and two or 11, one type season. And so with that being said, if you went six and six, but you knew Mizell was awesome, or if you went six and six, but you knew Max Brown was not the quarterback of the future, like if you start answering those questions over the course of 2023, then you walk into 2024 knowing what you have at each of these different positions. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I think Napier six and six is going to be a tough one for the fan base to swallow. The noise is going to start to get pretty loud, especially from those people who expect a winner year in year out in Gainesville. So you, you are going to need to patchwork some of those spaces. So that the team doesn't look young, 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 young everywhere. At the same time, I think that is what they have tried to do. And, you know, look, Dan Mullen came in and his rebuild process was to rely very heavily on, on McIlwain's recruits and sort of try to supplement. And he wasn't able to do that. Napier has come in and his rebuild plan has been rebuilt, strip it down to the bolts, bring in my strip it down to the studs, bring my guys in and fill those spots. Well, his guys are in now Xavier Henderson, not one of Napier's guys, Powell Ryland, not one of Napier's guys. So I don't think we should be surprised. Same as we weren't surprised last year when guys left. It's like, these guys were not recruited by this staff. They have a year in, and you have disagreements, you start looking, you say, look, there were, there, this wasn't my choice. I'm going to go someplace where it's my choice. I completely understand that. You know, we talk about those freshmen a lot, the wide receivers, over maybe overlooking Caleb Douglas a little bit too. He looked, he had some nice plays in the spring game. So Douglas, yeah, I think, Douglas I think, is going to be 
I mean, he might be your number two right now. Well, Douglas, Douglas uh, think, uh, needs to step up too. I think Frazier's is going to get a big look. I think I think Chicka Cal Bowman showed some things last year in he, terms he of maybe putting him in the slot. I could see him contributing too. Look, yeah. I mean, are are we are we uh, are we going up and down the field next year on the strength of our wide receivers? Probably not. But were we going up and down the field on the strength of Graham Mertz? Probably not. So this is going to be a team that's going to have to play some defense from three three yards of crown of dust or cloud of dust. And anybody who watched the Wisconsin spring game this weekend where it was actually snowing, oh, my God, it was snowing in April at the Wisconsin spring game. But anybody who watched that was like, yeah, like that looks just like the offense I just watched in the swamp for the spring game. It was pretty bad. So, uh, you know, look, I think. Uh, Although a lot different I, offense up there this year. Well, we'll see. Brought in Longo from North Carolina. Luke Fickle's got some new things going up in Madison. All right, I'll 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 take whatever bet you want on Wisconsin this year, buddy. We'll 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 have to talk about that one. All right, offensive lineman David Connor also hit the portal portal this week, but you know didn't didn't really get a lot of playing time early on. The other big name though was Antoine Powell Ryland Jr., who you had referenced there. He's from Virginia originally, class of 2020. Another another guy of the class of 2020 uh, appeared in 27 games with the Gators, making five starts and totaling 34 tackles, four and a half sacks, seven and a half tackles for a loss. And that comes from Zach Goodell at SI. Hey, Will, this Powell Island, again, similar vein to Henderson here, good player. Not a superstar, but definitely a guy at a position where we could use some veteran help. Interesting that he would uh, head out at this time. Also speaks to similar situation of the wide receiver room. Speaks to the fact that we probably got some young guys ready to step in at that position. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, Edge has been a place where Billy Napier has suggested they were going to bring in people from the transfer portal. We all sort of assumed that was a numbers issue, but then he started looking at the numbers. You're like, the numbers aren't that far off. So now it makes you wonder whether he sort of knew what was going on behind the scenes and whether he knew he was going to have to bring somebody in at that position. Paul Ryland has been okay, right? I mean, he had he had four and a half sacks last year, three sacks the year before, or I'm sorry, three sacks last year, one and a half sacks the year before, four and a half total, six tackles for loss last year, one and a half the year before. He's averaged 2.2 tackles per game, right, in his time there in Florida. That's not a ton. And so, you know, while while he's a solid contributor, Again, this is somebody I'm not going to be bouncing my grandkids on my knee talking about Antoine Pyle Ryland. Took him a little while to get in the lineup. Now that he's gotten in the lineup, in many ways, he got in the lineup because Brenton Cox was kicked off the team last year. And look, there are other there are other skilled guys coming in who are Napier guys behind him. And um, you know, just like we talked about the wide receivers being Napier guys coming in, Caleb Douglas is one of those Napier guys. You got the same stuff when you talk about TJ Searcy and some of the other guys, um, Kelby Collins, who are coming in on that defensive line, who are going to be able to contribute. Do I think Napier would have liked to have kept Powell Ryland all around? Sure, I think so. But he's not – like, there's nothing that you saw on film last year that goes, oh, this guy's a huge difference maker. Now, you need solid bodies on the defensive line in the SEC. And so, you know, one of the things we saw last year is in the first round, I think it was Bud Davis, did a really nice analysis of Jervon Dexter. And in the first half, Jervon Dexter was one of the best defensive linemen in the country. And then in the second half, he was one of the worst defensive linemen in the country because he was playing so many snaps that by the time the second half came around, he was completely gassed. A guy like Powell Ryland being around, even if he's not a star, gives you a blow for the guys who can potentially be stars, allows you to spread out the workload over more people over time, which means you've got fresher guys when it comes to the last couple of games of the year. And we saw the defensive line was just awful against against 
most teams last year, but especially against Florida State last year, there was just, you know, they could get pressure and couldn't finish the job. And even when they, and when they didn't get pressure, they got carved up. So I, I think um, Power Island wasn't winning a lot of one-on-one -on -one battles, but he's a depth piece and you need depth pieces in the SEC. Not everybody is going to be Carlos Dunlap. Not everybody's going to be, you know, you need guys like Tratow and, and other guys up there who are good players, but not necessarily NFL quality players, but who are going to contribute. Powell Ryland fits that mold. So I think it's a pretty significant loss for Florida. But again, if we're going youth movement, you got to know who's going to be there in 2024. And Powell Ryland was either going to be in the NFL after this year, or he's going to transfer after this year, most likely, because these young guys were going to be coming for him. What's the cutoff point for your grandkids to hear about someone when they're being bounced upon your knee? Well, we talking <laughs> like Wandy Pierre Louis here. Or like, wait, wait, what's the cutoff point for you? Only, only the botch. So Pierre Louis because of the botch punt against Arkansas, right? right? But uh, you know, it, it, it <laughs> He's depends. He's got to make the cut, right? It, well, it depends. I mean, if there's a national championship attached to him, maybe I'll talk about him and bounce my grandkids on yeah. my knee. Just a brief passing him. mention of Wandy. What Wandy there? Just a brief passing mention there. But well, I mean, you know, a it's lot like, of time on it. <laughs> it's like he, since I have to gloss over Aaron Hernandez, I figure I'll go ahead and uh, talk about Pierre Louis. Uh, there, there you go. They made some extra room there. All right, let's move on here to six bits. Talk about Ethan White not joining the USC Trojans. Well, I thought he was there already, man. When I saw this news this week, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm like, he's not on the team. That was my first reaction. But per the LA Times. Ethan White was expected to join USC from Florida this summer with one season left to play as a graduate transfer, but an injury has left White reevaluating if he's going to play football further, according to Trojans coach Lincoln Riley. The coach did not offer any specifics about the nature of what's apparently a career-threatening injury. Uh, there's an injury situation that looks like it's going to prevent him from playing further, and I'll just let I'll let him take it. Uh, from there, Lincoln Riley said last Thursday, obviously, we were excited to get him. It, it's football. Certainly, these things come up, and we get it. There's football, and there's also long-term health, and we understand guys have got to make those decisions uh, and the best decisions for themselves. So, sounds like an unfortunate situation here for White. Will, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of a surprising announcement that came out of left field this this week, but uh, he will not be able to continue his career at USC. It appears. Yeah, well, it's nice of Lincoln Riley to to leave it all private there <laughs> after saying, "Oh, it's an injury situation, might end his career." Uh, but I can't say anything else about it. I'll leave it to him. It's like I think you've said enough there, buddy. Just maybe. Uh, <laughs> Maybe he's not going to come here. I don't know. But uh, I think look, it's I better mean, saying that than not getting into any specifics at all because it just it's a weird situation. If otherwise, yeah. at least you kind of know why. There's so much stuff going on with the transfer portal. I'm not sure that anybody would have taken taken much heed to anything. I think look, Ethan White was a good player at Florida for two or three years, and you know, second team All SEC last year. So big time contributor to Florida's team, and that stinks that he's gonna that he's that he's you know facing that sort of thing with with a career threatening injury. Hopefully, it's something that he can manage and that he can get back on the field. But more than that, I think hopefully you know he's okay long term, and that uh, you know if if they found something, whatever it was that 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 is career threatening, that it's not life changing, and that he's able to you know have a normal life. I think, look. 
it's football, right? You don't want your you don't want your favorite players to transfer. You, you and I were both high, especially I was high in our preseason magazine last week last year. I had White winning, making the All SEC team, mm. and a big part of that was when he was in two years ago. Florida was able to run the ball. When he was out, Florida wasn't able to run the ball at all. And so it was like, all right, with Osiris Torrance coming in and Billy Napier wanting to run the ball, I think I think Ethan White's going to have a really good year, and he did, right? I mean, wound up being second team SEC. So. Um, Look, it was a big loss when Florida lost him. Certainly that wasn't a player that Florida wanted to lose. I think it also, from a planning perspective for USC, is harmful for them too because they were expecting somebody to come in, sort of like Florida is with, with Mazuka there at guard, that USC was expecting that with Ethan White as well. And so, you know, to have an injury change that and, and impact that stinks for Florida, stinks for USC, but certainly stinks for Ethan White. And so hopefully – you know, hopefully he's okay. Wish him the best. And as more details come out, I'm certainly will I'm certain we'll talk about it a little bit. But uh, you know, from the standpoint of if he wants to keep it private, then we'll keep it private and just wish him well. One of the things I'm digging into uh for the magazine, so I'm looking at the results from the transfer portal. And you you look, you just hear all types of stories, and obviously you have great stories like your Baker Mayfields, Kyler Murray's, Joe Burrows, right? Those are the great stories. But so many of these stories, they end up you, Think about last year's team, right? Chris Bogle, what he do at Michigan State? You guys hear his name last year at Michigan State? Not much, not much action there at Michigan State last year. So some of these guys, they go off into the portal, think that's the solution there, but I'm not sure it always is. And I think Ethan White here, you look at the injury, I'm not sure what happened if it was from training or or whatnot. But would he have been better off staying at Florida? Will I don't know. But I, I was thinking of an interesting situation here where I think too often there's this short-term perspective with the transfer portal and Emory Jones is, is going to be competing for the starting quarterback job at the university of Cincinnati this year, transferred from Arizona state to Cincinnati. If Emory Jones was still in Gainesville, would he be this, the, the favorite to be the starting quarterback this year? I think the fans might have some uh, issues with that, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think there, there's something to be said for that. I think there's certainly risk when you go to the transfer portal. I think uh, um, there's also reward though. I mean, you think about Russell Wilson going to Wisconsin, you think about right. a lot of these guys who've moved around Joe Burrow going from Ohio state to LSU. Um, the, the, the issue you really run into is there's no patience anywhere. And the other thing is the guys who committed anytime other than last year, did not have NIL at their disposal. And so I think what we're seeing is an awful lot of movement that's tied in with name, image, and likeness that will eventually subside. Mm-hmm. I think there's always going to be pressure to retain, right? You bring a guy in and all of a sudden somebody realizes they've got a spot at safety or, you know, a need at safety and they, they, you know, tamper a little bit because I'm sure that's happening everywhere. Tamper a little bit, start reaching out to your starting safety and going, Hey, we can give you more than they did. And you know, Oh, all of a sudden now you got a guy in the transfer portal, but um, you know, that's not something that I think is going to be like an overarching thing once there's like a baseline NIL deal in place for everybody who's in college. So what we're doing is we're sort of going through a transition period where guys who are now seniors committed and have had to sort of negotiate their NIL deals while they were at the school that they're at. Mm-hmm. And if you're behind one or two guys on the depth chart, there's no opportunity to do that. And so what do you have to do? You have to transfer out. And so I hear what you're saying about Emory Jones, but my guess is, or at least had, had, and again, no inside information here, but I'm guessing that there were NIL opportunities at Arizona state when he transferred from Florida, I'm guessing there are some NIL opportunities present at Cincinnati. And so would he be the starter at Florida? Maybe would he have 
made the same amount of money or would he have had the same NIL deals at his disposal? I have no idea. And so I think that's sort of the thing you have to gauge, right? It's, it's like when, uh, when somebody signs a contract, like in baseball, this is something that happens where guys who are coming up and don't quite have the service time yet will sign a way below market contract, but it's like five years for 50 million bucks. Right. And if they'd waited until free agency, they could have signed a five-year deal for $400 million. You're like, Oh, you gave up 350 million bucks. Well, yeah, but you deferred, you essentially gave those five years away for mm -hmm. the certainty of $50 million, $50 million changes your life. And so depending upon the size of these deals, depending upon, you know, Emory Jones time had really run its course at Florida. I mean, the, the fan base, I think appreciated him in some respects, but there was certainly a segment of the fan base that would not have been pleasant um, had, had, were he the starter this year. And, you know, that's just the reality is sometimes things run their, run their course and you got to make a change. Let's remember that in October, Emory Jones might, if he stuck around, he might be the starting quarterback. Now bring him back through the transfer portal, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too late. Come on, Emory, come home, Emory. Let's go. Uh, all right, let's move on here to a dollar. Uh, DraftKings released early spreads from some significant Florida games this year, and uh, it ain't pretty so far. DraftKings views the Gators as double-digit underdogs in five of their biggest games on the schedule, including 10-point dogs at Utah, 10-point dogs at home versus Tennessee, a 22-point line against Georgia. That That's rough, Well, That's rough seeing that one. Road trip to LSU in November, 17.5-point spread in favor of the Tigers, and FSU get, uh, giving up 11 coming to the Swamp. This Look, we're seeing the, the movement here with the portal even further with Henderson and, and Powell this week. There's a lot of people on a national level, even they, they just don't know what to do with Florida this year, and I can't blame them because even people close to the program are going, we'll see. A lot of it's it's a lot of we'll see with these Gators in 2023, which in my opinion, I hey, look, I would much rather be getting geared up for a championship run. So when I when I say this, like just keep that context in mind. But if you're trying to find some sort of silver lining to get fired up for a 2023 football season here with the Gators, this is going to be a very young group. It's going to be a, a group that's probably going to see a lot of change from September till till November, and I think it's going to be a fascinating piece of the storyline into what hopefully grows back into the championship program we all know and love. So that's that's my storyline for the 2023 season here, Will. So some of these spreads I'm looking at, hey, Utah on opening night, maybe we would learn some things about ourselves, Tennessee early on, maybe we're getting some things together. But by the time you look at the Georgia LSU and FSU game, I don't think that roster is going to be playing at all the same by October, November, I think it's. I think this is going to be a team that evolves rapidly throughout the season. Yeah, that Utah one's interesting, considering Florida beat them last year, and um, you know Florida's defense was so bad, Utah wasn't really able to exploit that. And then uh, you know everything falls apart. You look at Florida's defense and go, hmm, without Cam Rising, what's Utah going to be able to do this year? You know, there's there's reports he may be back, but he's is he going to be 100 percent? All that sort of stuff. We'll we'll be following that story. I think, look, given what we saw in the spring game, given what we know is on the roster, yeah, I understand why Florida's an underdog in all those games. Mm. It's also a really good opportunity if you think that Florida is going to be able to shake loose a quarterback who's significantly better than Graham Mertz to make some money. 
because because these spreads right now they're going to tighten the minute Florida has somebody who's better than Graham Mertz there at quarterback or at least projects to be better than Graham Mertz at quarterback. So if they if they bring in a guy who's sort of a backup and then okay then the lines aren't going to move at all and you know <laughs> you may be at a few bucks but but uh, you know you'll be okay. I I think you're going to be able to get real value if they bring in a guy through the transfer portal who can who can make these games closer if not make Florida an outright favorite because I mean look there are going to be guys out there who Florida can go after. The question is going to be do they want that one year stopgap? I think you're you get the biggest bang for your buck by going out and making a NIL offer to a quarterback who's going to be here for a year or two and be ready to, you know, a guy who'd come in make this program look good, go eight and four, nine and three, the offense going up and down the field. They go, wow, look, he didn't have a whole lot of talent around him. Look what he was able to do and sort of get the Anthony Richardson treatment when it comes to the the potential going out into the NFL draft. Not necessarily the same treatment that Richardson did, but but the the idea that I think a lot of the – there's been a lot of talk recently with drops and different things like that that Richardson wasn't quite as inaccurate as maybe people thought last year, and I tend to differ with that. I thought he was pretty inaccurate. So, look, I think to me that's the thing is look they shouldn't be more than a 22 they shouldn't be within 22 points of georgia next year given what we saw on the field last year what we saw on the field two years ago and what we saw on the field during the spring game like the the offense did not look like it was going to strike any fear in the georgia bulldogs and georgia's got two five-star guys competing for the quarterback position with a four-star guy in front of them florida doesn't have that right now and so yeah i think they're going to be underdogs but like i said a lot of that changes if you bring in a guy through the transfer portal who can compete or potentially be much, much better than the guys they have in the quarterback room. So we'll see what happens. I expect a guy to come in through the portal just for depth, if nothing else. But I also think that in the spring game, the coaches saw everything we did too. And yeah, the the quarterbacks can say it was a vanilla offense and all that sort of stuff. They're mm-hmm. still late getting the ball out with vanilla offense, which means I think there's room for improvement. And improvement means personnel, not just scheme, not just work, not just putting in the time after hours. And so, look, these things are going to tighten. So, like I said, there's some arbitrage here. If you think that uh, Florida's going to bring in a guy through the transfer portal who's better than the guys they got on the roster, the, those lines are going to tighten. You're going to get some value. Utah, Pac-12 champs, Understand? I understand that road trip out west. I understand the 10-point spread there. Georgia and LSU played at a very high level last year. I get it. Um, which one's more egregious, Tennessee minus 10 or FSU minus 11, both in the swamp? It's it's Florida State. I think Florida State last year was really close to sort of teetering on a on a season that wasn't great. I think Jordan Travis played very, very well last year. I would be surprised if he's able to duplicate it. Uh, Mike Norvell has not recruited at the same level that that Tennessee has with Heupel, and Heupel has a reputation as an offensive coach. So you look at Joe Milton replacing Hinton Hooker, and you go, yeah, he's going to struggle at times. He's not going to be as good as Hinton Hooker, but that offense is still putting up 50 points a game. So, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily Hinton think Hinton Hooker that, wasn't uh, Hinton Hooker until last year. Hinton Hooker was really <laughs> good at Virginia Tech. People forget how good. It was one of the reasons I was scared of Tennessee last year is Hinton Hooker was good at Virginia Tech. He came over to Tennessee, was just as good a tendency and then he took a step forward last year um so joe milton is not hendon hooker he was not hendon hooker at any spot he's been at before this he's been very inaccurate which i think means that you know you might see i believe before the season ends in tennessee it might not be a rough season there in tennessee on the offensive side of the ball but i'm also i'm i'm you gotta so, think one of those two work out though that's good odds on one of those two 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think Hypo will be okay. I don't, I don't, I think I think Tennessee's sort of the same place Florida was under Dan Mullen, which is that under Mullen until that last year where sort of the bottom fell out, Florida was a very good team that mm-hmm. was going to throw away a game or two because they they couldn't just go roll the ball out and win, but they were able to go out and compete almost all the time. But you'd have those really bad losses every once in a while. So the loss against LSU there in 2020, like those are sort of the hallmark losses. And what happened last year? Tennessee had a really good quarterback, was in contention for both the Heisman Trophy and the playoff. And then they blow that game to a South Carolina team that couldn't get it out of its own way all year long and just could not stop South Carolina no matter what. And is some of that South Carolina? Sure. But some of that's some of that is is uh, is Tennessee as well. And some of that is the reality that when you are not Georgia or Alabama in terms of recruiting, you can't just roll the ball out there, even against teams that are inferior to you and win all the time. Sometimes they get hot and you just can't flip the switch. And so those that's where Tennessee is. Florida State is a little bit behind that. And I think they were able to flip the switch a little bit last year and they found some things. And I think that there's um there's the there's the foundation of a good team, but not a great one. I wouldn't have classified them as a great team last year either. And look, they only beat Florida by seven last year. It's not like they absolutely destroyed the Gators. It was in Doak Campbell. Travis plays out of his mind. The Florida defense couldn't tackle anybody. Anthony Richardson played great in the first half. He played awful in the second half. And so if you have a quarterback who can keep things balanced, and if you have a defense that's just not a sieve, that game should be close again. So I I think, um, you know, is Florida's offense going to be able to compete with Tennessee's offense? I have more doubts about that. than will Florida be able to compete with Florida State, given what we saw last year? Yeah, I, I don't see us uh, getting into shootout mode a whole lot this year. So some of those, I do see a couple of those potentially getting ugly. But uh, overall, I think I think it's going to be a little better than all five getting absolutely destroyed. All five of those games, I don't I don't think it's going to be that bad this season. Yeah, man. Well, we'll see. Uh, look, I think DraftKings is supposed to reflect what the people think will happen. And right now, after watching that Florida spring game, people think Florida is going to struggle to score. And I think that's probably true given who they have the quarterback position, but I'm not necessarily sure that who they, who we saw in the spring game is going to be the starter come, come day one. And if that's true, then there's an opportunity to uh, make a little more money there. All right. Well, plenty of things to keep up with. We'll be back next week. Will, where can people get the magazine? Yes. You can pre-order at readandreaction.com slash mag. That's readandreaction.com slash M-A-G. Go ahead and pre-order. We will ship them to you when they are available. Um, And then, again, if you want a digital copy as well, you can wait until Memorial Day, order the digital copy. That'll just be delivered to your email box. You can get it in a PDF form and and look at it there. Um, Again, Great Father's Day gift, right? You've got you got dads who are going places, um, you know, over the summer are going to be vacationing. It's going to be, you know, 70, 75 pages of just Florida Gator content. You look at the differentiation we're really looking for here is most of these great preseason magazines like Lindy's and Athlon and, and Phil Steele, they cover all of college football. We have a little bit of that because there's some SEC sort of what happened in the SEC things that we need to take a look at. But this is something where you're going to walk out of this knowing some stuff about Florida that hopefully you didn't know before. And there's going to be some film study stuff in there. There's certainly, you were already mentioned about looking at transfer portal stuff. Be a lot of stats that you know you get on Read and Reaction, but hopefully a little bit more comprehensive here. So, uh, like I said, go check that out. Readandreaction.com/slash/mag. How long does the pre-order last for? 
pre-order. Yeah, pre-order. So there's a discount until May first. So if you get the if you get the order in before May first, you'll get a discount, and we'll we'll make sure we get it there by Memorial Day at least the best we can. First time we've done this, so hopefully there's no hiccups there. If you order it after May first, there will be a delay in terms of when you can get it, um, and so uh, and the price will go up a couple of bucks um, after May first as well. All right, good information. Readandreaction.com/slash/mag to pre-order now uh another announcement too we got another tall tales episode coming up this week 1963 florida goes in alabama upsets bear bryant will the tide ripped off 57 straight it was the first time bear had lost in tuscaloosa they won 57 straight games after this win uh this gator win in 1963 uh big time momentous win in the history of the program gets buried a little bit because it's a little further back, not great footage on it, <laughs> not great footage in terms of uh, raw game footage from television there. But we got a little bit worked in there, got a little bit worked in there, but a pretty significant milestone moment for the program under Ray Graves in the early days of Ray Graves. One of my favorite parts of this story, Will, Ray Graves, back in the day, you would schedule, uh, the schools would handle the scheduling for the SEC, right? Graves calls up Bear Bryant and says, hey, I'd like to get a two-game schedule with you guys because I'm trying to he's trying to put Florida on the national map a little bit more. Bear said, no problem. And and Ray's like, okay, well, what year do you want to come back to Gainesville? And he's like, no, 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 no. no. You're gonna come up here twice. You're coming to Tuscaloosa twice. We're not coming to Gainesville. So they did. The Gators went to Tuscaloosa twice because Bear Bryant had that kind of pull. And Ray Graves is just a, a second-year coach at Florida at the time and going into his third year. And he had to do what the bear said. That's the kind of pull the bear had in SEC country in 1963. So I, I look forward to sharing that with everybody. And I appreciate the support on the, on the tall tales so far. Yeah, man, people have been enjoying that. And certainly uh, this is one that gives me hope because you think about like the Alabama, um, the Alabama uh, dynasty that's going on right now mm-hmm. and sort of, when is it going to end? Right. And then you look at the Alabama dynasty before, and then you think about like the Mike Shula and the Dennis Francione days there at Alabama. And there will come an end to this where Alabama is just, you know, again, sort of a middle of the road SEC team um, with a great history, right. Great history of bear Bryant, great history with Nick Saban, but in the same place, Florida's kind of been since Steve Spurrier, since urban Meyer looking for that next guy. Right. And they're going to cycle through them. And you think the Florida fans are brutal when coaches don't do well in Gainesville. I'm just waiting for what happens on message boards in Tuscaloosa after Nick Saban decides to hang it up. And so, look, I think it's, it's cool to understand that when you start looking back at this stuff, it's really cool to look at Florida's history, but I also think it's cool to look at the history in the context of college football, where we know it went, how cyclical it is. And you think about like Oklahoma being good back in the Barry Switzer days, and then that finally cycles back around with Bob Stoops. And you think about Nebraska in in the Tom Osborne days, and is that going to cycle around? So all those sorts of things where the cycling around of these different programs takes place. You can see that, right, when you look at these Tall Tales episodes. So I, I love them. They're they're great to remind you just of why we love college football, the history of these programs. And certainly this one I definitely think you should check out, but there have been a couple other ones that you should check out as well. The first one I really liked, the 1997 Florida, versus Florida, or Florida State versus Florida game there in the Swamp. Greatest game ever played in the Swamp. That was a great one too. One more plug, everybody. Readingreaction.com backslash mag. Pre-orders available till May 1st. Will – Another episode in the books here. We'll see y'all next week. Have a great week, everybody, and go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. 
If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.